Hey, last night I had the chance to uh, perform a wedding in Greenville, actually Traveler's Rest, which is like the sticks of Greenville. And um, man, it was just so cool. Uh, a lot of y'all know Bobby Ruff. Bobby was, um, got saved and baptized in our first year at Awaken Church. I watched him baptize his parents a short time later. Uh, he's journeyed with us for a while. His now wife, Emily, was baptized last year during covid and it was just a beautiful celebration of seeing God's faithfulness in their life. The strange thing about the wedding was this. I was there by myself. And I don't like going to weddings by myself. You know what I'm saying? I got a date. Her name's Ashley, and she's hot. And I need her with me. But uh, this was a weekend where she couldn't make the trip. And so uh, I realized for the first time, weddings are not really designed for single people. And, and, and so, <laughs> Becca, I got you. Some of y'all know this, right? Like it's, and you can watch, next time, next time you go to a wedding, right? Next time you go to a wedding, watch, watch the single people roll up. Now the guys, the guys put a lot of effort in because it's a great scouting ground for a future wife, right? You see them walk in, they're kind of scanning the room, you know, looking for the rings on the finger. There's one available, right? Uh, but what I realized is that if, if, I didn't, if I don't have Ashley with me, I'm, I feel kind of out of place. It feels weird. Like I go up and have a conversation with a couple and I can dial in on like the husband, but I don't really know the wife yet. So I'm third wheeling. I don't want to leave her out, right? And then I'm just kind of wandering around. I'm like, okay, who am I going to interrupt next? Like, then I sit down at a table, there's a seat, but she's not in the seat. So then it's kind of weird conversation. You know, it's like, I'm better when she's with me. You know what I mean? I think church, I think the Christian life is designed to get some people beside us, right? Like I know you can journey it on your own and like, you can learn this word inside and out. You can come to church by yourself and worship. But y'all, it's better if you got somebody with you. I'm not talking about a date, although I will say, once you do find a relationship and y'all pursue Jesus together, life just is better. Uh, but, but I think church is a whole lot different and this mission, the Great Commission, to actually get the word of Jesus out, is better when you got people with you. And uh, this whole series called Plus One, it's gonna be a look through the book of Acts and my encouragement from the very beginning, you've already heard this from Tevin and from Lucas, is I want to encourage everybody in here to be a bringer. Like, be thinking, who in my life can I bring to be a part of this? Who in my life can I come ask to come sit beside me or go to this uh, event, go to this small group, go to this launch group? Who can I bring with me to be a part of this? Because the truth is, every single one of us is here because somebody invited us at some point. It might have been your mom and daddy that invited you by saying, get in the car, right, and get to church at a young age. And so this is just a part of who you are. It may be a friend that you worked with that said, hey, why don't you come to this event or this group or this church service? And you actually accepted that invite. It may have been a date, right? You didn't know that you were getting roped into a relationship, but they got you to church. Bottom line is, all of us are here because somebody invited us to be a part of what God was doing. And so that's the whole focus of this series. And I want to look at a story today in the book of Acts. It's really where church started. It's really where the birth of the early church took place and everything really grew out of this. So Acts chapter two, verse one, if you, if you got your Bibles, follow along. If you don't, uh, scripture will be on the screens. So Acts chapter two, verse one, here we go. Now on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. 
And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, the loud noise being all these different languages being proclaimed, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Verse 7, they were completely amazed, and they asked the question, how can this be? These people are all from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're all just drunk. That's all. Here, here's the setting. Let me, let me give a little context to what it is that we're reading. I, I'm bringing us up to speed. So where the Gospels end, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the Gospels end with Jesus is arrested, Jesus is crucified, Jesus is placed in a tomb, Jesus rises on the third day, he spends about 40 days with his disciples, he eats with them, he drinks with them, he hangs out with them, he talks with them, then he goes to the Mount of Olives, he gives them the great commission, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, and then he goes back to heaven. And then about nine days go by before this takes place. All the believers, there was about 120 of them total, they're sitting in a room in Jerusalem, praying and waiting on the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter one, verse four, Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. So we find the disciples, and again, it's about 120 total, which by the way, you're like, man, Jesus spent three years of ministry and he only had 120 followers? Can I tell you that God delights in doing things with small beginnings, right? Like, Sometimes we think, oh, there was this mass, there were thousands of people when Jesus left. It's not true. In fact, when the crowds got bigger, Jesus' teaching often got harder, and so the crowds started to diminish. He's left with 120, and they're praying, doing exactly what he told them to do, waiting on the Holy Spirit. And so nine days after Jesus goes back to heaven, in this moment, as they're praying, the Holy Spirit falls on these believers. Now, I want to remind us that the God that we serve and the God that we worship, he's a God of opportunity. In other words, he'll, he'll look into a situation, and you may, be, you may have one right now, you may be living one right now, and you think, man, the, the, God can't work in this. God can't work at this job or on this team or in this neighborhood or maybe even in this family. You're like, man, it just the odds are against me right now. I want you to know God can work in any situation and often will do it in ways that you least expected it. What we have right here, we, got, we have a bunch of Jewish people. This, what they were in Jerusalem celebrating was this. So in the Old Testament, when God brought his people out of Egypt and he rescued his people out and they're going through the desert, 50 days after they came out of Egypt, God called Moses up onto Mount Sinai and he gave him the Ten Commandments. He gave him the law. And you remember Moses came down from the mountain and he shared the law with the people. God had spoken they, that 50 days after the deliverance from Egypt, every year the Jewish men, the Jewish people, would celebrate that occasion. It was called the Festival of Harvest or Festival of Weeks. And so they would celebrate this occasion. And so it was required by Jewish law that Jewish men, no matter where you lived on the planet at the time, which, by the way, there were different countries. They had spread out. Obviously, there wasn't America yet, Right? You're like, how did they get across the Atlantic Ocean? We weren't here yet. Uh, 
people had to travel back to Jerusalem. And so they would come in from all over. I want you to think about like the Olympics, all these different nationalities together in one place. Most scholars believe it was between 150 and 200,000 people in Jerusalem at this, at this time in the first century. They would come together, and so you had all these different nationalities, all these different languages. And so there's this religious festival, and God says, that's where I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to spark a revival in my people in the middle of that religious event. It's a place where none of us would really expect him to move. Think about it like this. Religion is tradition, and religion is often dry and stale. When you just go to church, and you recite old prayers, and you just go through the motions, and it's not really transformational. You follow what I'm saying? Informational as opposed to transformational. Right? There was information. This was every year. Go to the same place. Do the same thing. Take the pilgrimage. Observe the law. Observe the festival. And God goes, I'm going to speak into that, and I'm going to spark revival amongst my people. And he brings fire into that place. Now, I ask the question in our lives right now and in the setting of the church right now, both Awaken and the church globally, what is God doing? I think we have a great opportunity. I think through COVID, God pruned out the church. You go, what does that mean? I think, well, there's some people that aren't in the church anymore that at one point, maybe it was just kind of tradition, culture, going through the motions. COVID stops and it's like, boom, I'm out for a year. And guess what? They're nowhere to be found. But I look at what he's given us right now, and I go, God's birth and a harvest. And if you didn't know it, you're walking into a movement this morning. We saw nine people saved today. We've had dozens this year. There's going to be baptisms in a couple weeks, and you're a part of a movement of what God's doing here. And I believe right now God's sparking a revival in his church, and you go, well, what does it take for me to be a part of it? I would say it takes the same fire that the early church received right here. And what does that mean? What does it mean? Listen, all through the Bible, the fire, fire is synonymous with the Holy Spirit. I think about it like this, Moses, when Moses is out in the, with the sheep and God decides I'm going to choose Moses and Moses is going to go deliver my people. What appeared to Moses? There was a bush. It was burning, but it wasn't burning up. And he goes over to the bush, right? It has signified the presence of God. The Holy Spirit was in that place. When Moses delivered the people out of Israel and they're walking through the desert, what guided them? There was a cloud by day, but fire, a pillar of fire by night that guided God's people. When we look at the the, the, the priest in the Old Testament, the priest's job in the temple was to make sure the fire didn't go out. They had to make sure this flame stayed lit because it was that fire that would consume the sacrifices brought to the altar, right? The fire all through scripture is synonymous with the presence of God. And I believe it's why Timothy, in, first, in 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul tells Timothy, hey, fan the flame that's inside of you. Stir up the gift that's inside of you. He says, Timothy, you got it from your mom. Your mom got it from your grandma, but you inherited this faith and now you're walking in faith and you're a pastor. Stir up that gift because the spirit did not give you a spirit, right? God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, but a power, right? And that, that's, that's the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, I believe with all my heart that there, you can be a believer, but your fire can be dimly lit. In other words, you, you've got a relationship with Jesus, but you just got like embers in here, right? It's kind of like a fire. You ever seen a, a campfire and the logs are burned out and it's smoking, but you still see that like orange and yellow in there? You know what I'm saying? What does it take for that to come back? 
You gotta blow on it a little bit. Throw a log on the fire, right? You gotta stir this thing up. What does that mean? Listen, the way you stir the fire up of the Holy Spirit, God sends the fire, but you gotta fan the flame, all right? There's two parts here. God will send the fire of his Holy Spirit, but you have to fan the flame. How do you do that? You read God's word, you pray, you worship, you come to church, you let your life be connected to other believers, and what happens? You slowly fan that flame back up, and the embers come back, and the fire comes back. That, that's where revival comes from. That is what's happening here with the believers, right? Like, they're gathered together, they're praying, they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, then all of a sudden, they start speaking in all these different languages. Now, listen, I don't know exactly what that look or sounded like. I really don't. And you may be going, well, what did the tongues of fire actually look like? Y'all, I don't know. And I could make something up, but you could too. I don't know what it looked like. But here's what I know happened. I know there were tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem that had come to this city as a part of a religious tradition. And then God decides to work mightily, and they begin to hear the account of Jesus in their own languages being spoken by people that don't speak those languages. Let me just make it really clear for us today. It would be the equivalent right now of, let's just take a thousand people um, from, I don't know, Brazil, thousand people from France, thousand people from Russia, thousand people, right? Like, and, and then all of a sudden, you guys started speaking in Spanish and Russian and French. You're like, that's crazy. It is crazy, all right? We, we read a Bible about a Jesus that rose from the dead. It's absolutely crazy. But, but God chose, this is how I'm gonna do it. And so these 120 believers roll out of this house and they're all speaking in this variety of languages, dozens of different countries present. And the people listening are like, what is going on, right? This is amazing. They expected when they came to Jerusalem that no one would really speak their language. But yet now they hear the gospel in their own terms and uh, phrases they can understand and it's starting to make sense. And two different things happen. And I want you to notice this. If you're, if you're taking notes, I want you to look at where this was taking place. The first one is this. Two different responses to the invitation that was issued or the message that was being shared. One response was this. People came rushing in going, man, I, that makes sense. I'm hearing about this God. I hear about Jesus in my own language. And they leaned in to hear more. The other response, man, them dudes are wasted. Like, they're, they're drunk, right? One response was, I need more. The other response was mocking. And I love that, that they didn't stop talking just because they were made fun of, right? I love that they didn't stop talking just because they were ridiculed or they were mocked. You gotta remember these, these disciples, they had seen Jesus handle rejection. You might remember uh, when the rich young ruler ran to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, sell everything, come follow me. And then he rejected Jesus and he walked away. Jesus' mission didn't stop. Jesus tried to share with the Pharisees and the Sadducees about the fact that it's not about law, it's about love, it's about relationship, not religion, and they didn't accept it. Well, guess what? Jesus kept on even though they rejected him. I believe that there's a lot of Christians today that we will not share our faith or invite people into what God's doing because we're afraid of rejection. Can I just encourage you, don't, don't shy away because you're worried about what people are gonna think. You're afraid of being rejected. I think about my wife, Ashley. Y'all, if I was afraid of rejection, I wouldn't be married. She should have never said yes. I know I got kids in the room. Guys, she said yes, praise God. But I, if, if, I, if I approached 
dating the same way that many people approach the Great Commission, I would have never asked because I'd be worried about the response. I think about it like this. When I moved here uh, eight, well, nine years ago now, we moved here to plant the church. And back then, there was no church. There was no building. There was no services. There was, there was no nothing. This was before the first small group. And I was working a full-time job at a company. And I was trying to figure out, how do I invite my boss to be a part of this church plant, which that's a foreign language right there. What the heck's a church plant? How do I invite my boss to be a part of a church that doesn't exist? And what am I going to do if he says no? Will I get fired? May not be fired, but it could be weird showing up the next day. And he's like, no, I don't believe in what you moved here to do and give your life to. That's kind of strange, right? So you know what I did? I didn't invite him. I just chose, you know what? I'm worried that he's going to reject what it is that God's called me to do with my life. And I was more concerned about that rejection than I was about reaching him. Now, maybe you've never been in that scenario. Maybe right now you have people that you work with or you have neighbors, right? Or you've got friends or roommates and you've already invited, you've already reached out to them, you've already tried to include them into what God's doing. There's a good chance that you haven't and the reason that you haven't is you're worried about the rejection. It's the number one reason people don't share their faith or invite someone to church. If you can get over that hump of being worried about rejection, you'll be amazed at what God will do in and through your life. And I will say, I gotta finish that story. Eventually, I invited Chris Farrell to come to church. Uh, he came to a couple cookouts. He since moved away. But long story short, there was a time where I was really worried about that. It was tough. So let me encourage you, don't be worried about what people think. Let's look at where this took place. Acts chapter one, verse four, when Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. The people that God chose to work through were the people that were obedient to what God said to do. Jesus said, don't leave until, and they stayed. Y'all, nine days is a long time to pray for something, isn't it? When's the last time you sat in a room and prayed for something for nine days? Probably been a minute. When's the last time you prayed for nine minutes? Let's just be honest. You're like, I don't know what to talk about for nine minutes, right? The believers were, were faithful to what God had called them to do. They listened to the last command they got from Jesus before moving on from that post. Can I just encourage everybody in here real quick? Stop looking for new assignments and just fulfill the one that's been given to you now. Like wherever God's got you in life, he's got you there for a reason. Maybe you're an entrepreneur and you got your own business and it might be small right now. You know what? You got clients you can reach for the kingdom. Maybe you're in school right now and you're like, God, I can't wait to get out of college. I just wanna go start my life. You know there's people on that campus that needs to be reached for Jesus. Or maybe you're in high school and you just, I can't wait till I grow up, can't wait to get out of high school and go to college. Y'all, public high school is the largest mission field in the world. Right? God can use you where you are, or you're in that neighborhood, or wherever you, God has given you an assignment, and he's put you in a place to be used for his glory, and nobody else can fulfill that but you, right? Stop looking for other opportunities, or maybe comparing your life to somebody else's journey, and just look to be capitalized wherever God placed you, because that's how he works through, he works through people who are obedient, He works with the people who go, you know what, God, I recognize that where you have put me and where you've assigned me, you want to use me for your glory. But what does that look like? What does it look like? Look at at what it looked like in Peter's life. Peter's standing there, and he's, I got, 40 days earlier, this is important that we talk about this. Y'all, 40 days earlier, Peter had denied Jesus at a campfire. 
failed tremendously, right? That's what most of us remember Peter for. Like, oh, Peter denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Now, here we are. We're not, even, we're, we're not even six weeks after that. And God chooses to use Peter to stand up and, and preach a message where thousands of people are saved. I was talking to a groomsman last night at the wedding. And uh, he used to attend Awaken Church. He's since moved to Charlotte. He's a coach. And we were having a conversation about scripture and uh, mentorship. And I was, I was saying, hey, it's great how God's using you in coaching to help mentor the next generation. He said, man, I just wish I knew more. The book is so intimidating. It's so intimidating. And I'm like, you know what? It is intimidating, isn't it? I mean, it's 66 books in a book. That's, that's intimidating enough. Right? It's like, I don't even know where to start. I don't understand it all. I don't know the whole journey. I don't know what to say. Can I just encourage you? God chose to use Peter. Peter didn't know it all. Peter had mistakes in his past. Peter had struggles in his past. He had a reputation, right? Like, but, but God chose to use Peter to preach this message. And I want you to know that some of you are going, I don't know what to say, and I don't know where to start, and I don't know enough, and I've done too much. God does not care about that stuff. Like, if you got a story, if you know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in your life, you are fit to share that with somebody. You don't have to earn it, right? Like, well, if I just got baptized, I think I need to wait. Yeah, I probably should wait like six months, right? Because I got to clean my life up enough to be able to share. Because if I share before I do, then what about what I did last weekend? And we overanalyze stuff too much. Y'all, if Peter done that, Peter would have never spoke up right here. But look at what happens. Everybody starts mocking these, the, the believers, and they're calling them drunk. Verse Acts chapter 2, verse 14, this is what happens. Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd. I love the fact that he shouted, don't you? He just yelled at them. They didn't have mics. I yelled with a mic. But Peter just stepped forward and was like, hey, these people are not drunk. Make no mistake about it. Some of you are assuming that. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and it's much too early for them to be drunk. What you see was predicted long ago. Peter stepped forward, not alone, but he stepped forward with 11 other apostles. And what we know is Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them, Judas, took his own life, betrayed Jesus, took his own life. Judas's spot was filled by a man named Matthias. So there's Peter and there's the 11 and Peter is sitting here, everybody's getting ridiculed, they're making fun of what God's doing, and Peter decides, you know what, I've had enough, it's time to address the crowd. And he didn't just step forward by himself, he stepped forward with 11 other apostles. Do we have any baseball fans in the house? Just throw your hand up real quick. You love baseball, you love slow games, you love the fact that it takes four and a half hours. I see you, Chris, work for River Dogs, my man. Um, hey, which by the way, can I just give a shout out real quick, Chris Singleton, put your hand up. My man, my man gave Awaken Church 130 tickets to the River Dogs game this weekend. That's generosity. Thank you. Uh, baseball is a slow game. I have a hard time enjoying it. I think some of it's PTSD. When I was a kid, I played like Dixie Youth, and there was one game I got hit in the head twice. And I was like, I'm out. I'm out. But here's what I love about baseball. I, I, love, I love a good bench-clearing brawl. You know what I'm saying? I love that you can have one guy that's in trouble, and you got, I mean, everybody clears out to help him out. You know what I'm saying? Y'all got a visual? I got a video. I want you to see this real quick, and then I'll continue my sermon. This is what it looks like. This is why I love baseball. I might get in this time. 
Well, George Bell is not a good man to come up and in on. Yeah. More or less like wake him up. Watch out. Oh, yeah. Now here goes George. Yep. Yeah, Sealy. Oh, boy. Good thing. There we go. I love that because the pitcher didn't even have to fight. He's like ducked out of the way and the second baseman just took him out, you know? I loved, I'm like, it's a beautiful picture of what's happening here in Acts chapter two, right? Because so, so, well, maybe not exactly that. Uh, but so many times I feel, I feel like we believe this mission, this great commission, it's like, I'm all by myself. I'm all on my own. And, and now we don't see that at all in the New Testament. Like any, when we see people step forward to share the gospel, there's a crew, there's like a, a squad behind them. And Peter here, he steps forward to preach, but I love that it said he stood with the other 11. It's like they step forward and it's like, yep, we're all here. And then Peter starts talking, but beside him, you know who was there? Jude. You ever heard of Jude? You hadn't heard of Jude, have you? What about Bartholomew? No, he was standing there, Thaddeus. Anybody heard of Thaddeus? This was the crew. They don't get the credit and they didn't preach the message, but they were standing with Peter. Y'all, there's strength that comes from your squad. There's strength when you stand with the right people. Some of y'all got to get the right people around you. You're going, why is God not using me? Well, because you're not really surrounding yourself with the people that want to be used too. Like for instance, you, you, might, you might say, you know what, I, I've, I've accepted Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus. But you're still running with the old crowd. Right, like you're... you're you would still call this your crew. Yeah, I'm coming to church and I'm trying to sing the songs and I hadn't really got into a small group yet and I might serve once a month on a team. But, but if somebody really asked you, your 11, your crew, your squad is still over here. Still the people you used to run with, used to do the stuff with. And, and you're, trying, you're trying to forge a new way forward. You're trying to develop some new habits and new disciplines, but you're still hanging with the old crew. And y'all, what I've, what I've found out in my own life is you, you cannot get rid of demons that you're still entertaining over here. You're like, well, I, I, I don't want to be drinking as much. I don't want to get drunk. Really? Because if you're over there, it's still going to happen. I really need to clean my mouth up, man. I don't want to talk like that. So my prof- Really? You're still hanging with that crew and listening to that music and watching those movies? Guess what? You're going to keep talking that way. And I'm not trying to be legalistic. All I'm saying is you're going to become a product of whoever and whatever you surround yourself with. And so if you surround yourself with some solid people that stand with you and stand for the same things as you, God will begin to use you in a mighty way. But you can't expect to be used in a mighty way if what you have standing around you is weak and soft and endorses stuff called sin. It ain't going to happen. And maybe the only thing you hear today is this. You might be here and the one thing you hear today is, I've got to step out of this circle and find me a new circle. I need a new 11. I need a new squad. It doesn't mean you have to reject the old crew. But if you're going to reach the old crew, you need a new crew bringing them along. You follow me? You need a new crew bringing them along. Peter stepped forward with the other 11. And I want you to see this contrast because uh, 40 days earlier, Peter's sitting at a campfire by himself. And it's by himself at a campfire that he denies knowing Jesus altogether. 
He's a coward. But here we are weeks later, and he's been praying for a week, and he's surrounded by the disciples and the other believers, and we see Peter stand up and deliver the greatest sermon ever preached. Thousands of people get saved. How can that be? Can I just submit to you that two things happened? One, he experienced forgiveness and restoration from Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead. He realized he was a new creation. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then second, he's surrounded with people that believe the same things. Listen, when you step into salvation and you surround yourself with people that have done the same, there's amazing things that can happen in and through your life. And that's what I believe God wants to do through every single one of us called the church. Third thing I want us to look at is look at what was said. Look at what Peter said when he actually stood and stepped forward to preach. Now, this is interesting because we call it preaching. Like, for instance, there's headers in your Bible. Every chapter has like headers. Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes. Skip down, Peter preaches to the crowd. Uh, Skip down, Peter heals a crippled beggar. These titles were put in there. Uh, We call it preaching. Y'all, Peter didn't call it preaching. Peter just stepped forward and started shouting at everybody. You know what I mean? He just started yelling. And what he said was what he knew. He didn't have a sermon written. He had not gone into a study to think about exactly what to say. When the time came and the opportunity presented itself, he just stepped forward and he started talking. Let me ask you a quick question. When the opportunity comes, not if, but when the opportunity comes your way, do you have something to say? Think about it. Do you, do you have something to say? You go, well, oh, gosh, I don't know enough. Like, I don't know the Bible. I don't know the whole story. Listen, all Peter shared was this. Peter shared what he knew, and he shared what had happened to him. Peter didn't know the whole Old Testament. Like, Jesus never once looks at his disciples and says, okay, if you're going to follow me, uh, following Jesus 101 means you've got to memorize the first five books of the Bible. He never did that. He never, he never made it intellectual. Right, So what Peter does do is he steps forward and what he talks about is what the people wanted to hear. There's three different audiences. The first one is this. He says, um, first he addresses those who would know the Jewish prophecy of Joel. There's a book in the Old Testament. There's a prophet in the Old Testament named Joel. The Jewish people, the faithful Jewish men would have known exactly what Joel said because they would have had that memorized. And so the first audience that Peter speaks to is the Jews. And he says to them, hey, everything that you're experiencing right now, that you're seeing, it was prophesied by Joel. God said this was gonna happen, and this is happening. The second group that he speaks to is the broader audience that's there that would have honored King David. King David is the most uh, famous king in the Bible. The, The Jewish people revered him. They thought, man, that's the most blessed king ever, David. And, 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 and Peter talks to them and says, look, David, David was a great king. But we know where David's grave is. He's still on the ground. We worship a king that's risen, right? So we don't worship a king who's got a, our king's tomb is empty. And so he talks to the Jews and he talks to all the Israelites. And then in verse 36, he says, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah, There were faithful Jewish people there. There were Israelites there, other Jews that weren't necessarily faithful to the Jewish religion. And then there were Gentiles present. There were other people there that weren't Jews at all. And Peter says, look, this message that we're proclaiming is for everybody. It's for all parties. But the way that you share it with each party is different. You follow me? The way you deliver it is different. Uh, In preaching, we call that audience analysis. Know who you're talking to. You know what I'm saying? And some of y'all moms are like, yep, you better know who you're talking to. It's, it's that. It's, 
How you share a message needs to make sense for whoever's receiving it. In other words, I may share my faith differently with someone who's going through a struggle or a hard season than I might with some, then then I'll, I'll share it differently with that person than I would with somebody who's celebrating and in a great season. I'm going to talk to a college student, a college freshman, very different than I'm going to talk to a senior adult, right? I'm going to talk to a single female, very different. I'm going to talk to a couple married with three kids. Now, listen, Jesus is the answer for every scenario and situation, but you have to figure out how to share it in such a way that they're ready to receive it. Does that make sense? So here's what it means. As you go throughout your life and you think about opportunities, so right now, every single body, every single person in here, you should be thinking about your plus one. One person that God's put in your life that is far from God but close to you, okay? The question you should be asking and that we all need to be asking is how can I take this message, what message? The message that's shared right here, that God made this Jesus to be both Lord and Messiah. How can I take the message of salvation and make it make sense to that person. That's the goal. And you go, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not, I don't know how to share my faith. Can I just tell you, all of our small groups this summer are gonna be going through a study to help you learn how to share your faith. If you're here and you're going, look, I wanna be used by God, I wanna figure out how to do that, get in a small group, right? Get get in a launch group in Somerville. Be a part of these groups that'll teach you how to share your faith. But ultimately, I want us to understand that if you don't know how to do that, the easiest thing you can do is invite him to come sit right here. Because one thing I promise to do every single week, I'm going to talk about Jesus, and I'm going to give people an opportunity to respond. You may ask the question, well, why do you count to three at the end of the services and ask people to raise their hands? Here's why. Because I want you to know, when you bring your people to this place that don't know Jesus, they're going to get asked to be in relationship with him every single week. Because that's what fire and preaching looks like, by the way. You go, well, is this teaching? This isn't teaching. Some of y'all have told me before, that was a good speech. This isn't a speech. And if you told me that, I'm not, trying to, I'm not mad at you. That's just what you call it. This isn't a good talk. This isn't a good speech. This is preaching. It's proclaiming the good news that all of us in our sin put Jesus on the cross. But God, in his love and kindness, raised Jesus from the dead, forgave us of our sins. And if we trust Jesus, we have eternal life. That's the good news of salvation. And maybe you're here today and you're like, that's the first time I've heard that. Listen, Peter delivered that news on this day. And thousands heard it for the first time. In fact, look at what happened in verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. Pierced their hearts. Do you remember what the, for those of you that are Christians, you remember when your heart got pierced? It's called conviction. Remember the first time you, you realized, man, the way I'm living and what I'm doing has got to be breaking the heart of God. I can't continue on like this. Like that, that's what piercing of the heart looks like. It pierced their hearts and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? In other words, what do we do? We believe in what you're saying. We believe in your God. We believe the story of Jesus. So just tell us what to do because we, we're sorry. We want to be a part of that. And Peter replied, verse 38, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Y'all, that's the good news right there. They go, look, what do we do? We don't know how to respond. We can't fix this ourselves. And Peter says, here's what you gotta do. 
Turn to Jesus, repent from your sin, and be baptized. Then you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like to have a relationship with God. Can I issue the invite to you today? Maybe you're here, and for the very first time, maybe for the very first time, you you feel your heart being pierced, and you recognize, I don't have that kind of relationship. I don't have a relationship with God. Today, you want to respond? Can I invite you to respond today? Heads bowed, eyes closed all across the room. If you're here and you would say, man, I I feel conviction. I want a relationship with God. I I want to respond today. If that's you, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. So I can pray for you and so we can celebrate your decision. So we can give you a new crew to surround you and support you. So right now, if you're here and you would say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to trust him for the first time. When I count to three, just lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift your hand high as you can. I see you. Amen. Praise God. And the risers, I see you. Keep it up. Amen. God, we thank you right now for the response in this room. I thank you for those who've lifted their hands, indicating they want a relationship with you right now. And God, I pray, I pray that you would help them step forward in obedience and get baptized and begin this journey of becoming more like you and advancing your church. So God, thank you for the response this morning. Now, as we continue in a spirit of prayer, nobody looking around. If you're here and you would say, you know what, I've, I've been a Christian for some time, but that fire in my life has, has dwindled a bit. That fire is, I feel like the flame's gone out some. And today, I just want to, I want to fan the flame, man. I, I want to be burning. I want my heart to be on fire for God again. I, I want some vibrancy in my life and I want some passion back and I want to be used by God. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand right now? Amen. Hands flying up everywhere. You are not alone. Keep them up. Keep them up. Man, God, right now you see these hands that are lifted, indicating that these are your children, but they're wanting a fresh anointing of your spirit. They're wanting a fresh fire to come in their lives. God, I pray that you would call them to walk in obedience, to pray, to get in your word, to worship, maybe join a group or a team to get in relationship with people so they can begin to be used by you in a mighty way. Thank you for the promise that once we have you, we can't lose you. And God, that what we ask for, you will give in the name of Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that you would fill these with your spirit that you would bring a fresh anointing into our church and onto our city so that people far from God will be awakened to life in Christ. We love you and we praise you for the decisions today. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.